0: All right.
1: You do the editing, so.
0: Kyle of the future. This is the beginning of episode six, and I'm going to clap so I can see it. Okay.
1: I mean, I could have screamed if you wanted. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> will you love me when my
0: stops? When my stops, stay mine? Will you promise
1: me? Hey, everyone. You're listening to Edicts on Edicts, a podcast about Emily Dickinson.
0: Il poetessa di Amherst. Oh, fantastic.
1: (laughs) I love it. I love it. So today uh, we are discussing episode six of season two of the Apple TV Plus show Dickinson. If you are joining us now, what are you doing? Don't go back to season one, but do go back to episode one of season two because...
0: We figure things out by then, much like the show.
1: Yeah, much like the show. Um, (laughs) And in today's episode the Dickinson's, go and see the opera
0: very very exciting so this is episode split the lark written by elena smith and directed by silas howard
1: mr howard uh directed episode five as well which we have discussed and you can go and listen to that with our wonderful guest star graham yeah he's he joined us and had a great discussion so do go back and listen to that but yeah split the lark um
0: an episode that gives us exactly what we want within the first 30 seconds which is jane krakowski singing
1: (laughs) i love it that she kicks the doors of the opera house open and she says we're here and it is everything
0: you know that they're like Desperate to get Jane Krakowski singing in everything, because she's so good.
1: Yeah, she, she is just... she's Well, it's surprising, isn't it? Because we've discovered that um, not only does Jane Krakowski have a great voice, but also Ella Hunt
0: mm. has a great
1: voice as well, as we, yes. as
0: as we, we find discover. out in this
1: episode. So, do you want to do a summary of the episode, Kyle? I put you on the spot again.
0: I was about to say, yay, my least favourite part of every recording session. <laughs> as you say... The Dickinsons, all of them, including Sue and Austin, mm. are attending the opera in Boston. I did not mean to rhyme, but I'm going with it. But <laughs> uh, yes, so during this experience at the opera, Emily and Sam spend time in Sam's box because Mary has not attended, mm. and Emily has an experience with the lead opera singer, Adelaide May. That mm, indeed, yeah. Discussion about the the questions of again fame that are running through the season, and also being a professional artist.
1: Yes, indeed. And then the rest of the Dickinson family uh, has their own little kind of interactions during the opera. Yeah. Um, so we've got uh, Mister and Missus Dickinson, who I think have the best night out. Um, I was about to say <laughs> they seem to have the most fun, which. They manage by just giving up on the opera, <laughs> like I hate this, <laughs> <laughs> just like um, leaving. And then we've also got Austin and Sue, um, who are very frosty.
0: The worst night at the opera.
1: Yeah, they they possibly have the absolute worst night at the opera. And Lavinia and what's his name? <laughs> um, <laughs> I never remember his name. Shipley. Shipley, that's it. You remind me every time, and I just forget it again.
0: <laughs> It's like this is the old married couple segment of the episode <laughs> it's like it's shipley dear his name is shipley
1: <laughs> yeah um I just, I just don't care enough so yeah livinia and shipley have their have their little interactions as well and it's quite telling um mm. all of it uh, and in the background we have a performance of la traviata yes and before we start talking about the episode, I wondered if we could talk a little bit about the opera.
0: About La Traviata?
1: Well, about La Traviata, but also about the opera generally. Oh, um, okay. Kyle, do you like the opera?
0: I have never actually attended an opera. I actually really want to. I, in high school, I was living in the UK at the time, and we did go on a school trip to see the Royal Ballet at Covent Garden. Mm. I did not care for ballet. I liked the music, but like dance as an art form kind of left me cold at the time. Maybe it would be different now. However, as is well known on this podcast, I do fucking love musicals. So I think the opera might be a better fit for me. I'm desperate for it. Yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think the opera is where, you know, musicals um, as a medium kind of grew out of the opera, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the opera yeah um and La Traviata specifically is very special to me because oh, really? it was my first opera
0: oh wow um
1: yeah so I saw it when I was I think 17 and I was in Verona in Italy and we went to the Arena di Verona for the opera festival because mm-hmm. Verona has an opera festival every year in the summer um and it's in this Roman arena so it's this it's literally from i think it's from the age of um trajan i think but i'm not sure um that the arena has been there since then and it used to be used for gladiatorial battles but now uh one half of the arena has been redesigned to accommodate a stage um and the other half of the arena is seating basically and so you go and you sit on the stone steps and everyone takes a picnic basket with wine and breads and cheese and whatnot and yeah you watch the opera sat on the steps and it's super uncomfortable because you can't you can't lean back because where you're sat on the steps there's people's legs behind
0: you oh
1: (laughs) and also the stone heats up all through the day in the the sun so it's boiling hot so when you get in there everyone's (laughs) like you're all wearing linen and like fanning yourselves because the stones just give up it's like an it's oven
0: radiating yeah
1: yeah and like the poor performers are on the stage like they must be absolutely sweltering in their costumes and makeup and things i'm surprised they don't collapse but but then it's yeah. really nice because the performance starts at like 8 p.m. and by the time the opera finishes you've had like the intermission and the opera comes to an end it's almost midnight and then everyone goes out and has dinner afterwards
0: uh, yeah that's
1: <laughs> Yeah, but when I went and saw La Traviata, um, I think it was 2012, actually. So I don't know if I was 17. I think I might have been 18. Um, God, you were too young anyway. <laughs> I know. And um, it was amazing because they did the whole stage. There was three stages, and each one was a picture frame. And the picture frame would like rise up and rotate to frame the stage differently. Oh. Um and then they had, like, different scenes. So it was as if you were watching, like, family portraits come to life. Right. And, like, perform the opera. Oh. Yes. So, and and the music of La Traviata is, is just beautiful and so recognisable.
0: Right. Um, I have listened to it because, <laughs> for fun, anyway.
1: Yeah. Um, I won't give the whole plot, but basically the opera is about a woman young woman named violetta mm-hmm. um and basically her romantic situation as it unfolds she has mm. various suitors um but then she gets sick and she dies and she takes fucking forever to die um <laughs> as is
0: as is I think the cliche yeah, of the opera
1: <laughs> yeah like i literally i think it takes like half an hour Amazing. for her to like finally kick the bucket
0: right um <laughs> i did rewatch really so, moulin rouge sometime during quarantine which i know is like inspired by la traviata and i get i got the same feeling moulin rouge mm, i don't know if it holds up
1: (laughs) (laughs) Eh. but yes it's it's a great little it's a great opera i really recommend people listen to it um, and go see it when you can but the thing about opera that people don't want to talk about is that it does require a lot of patience because in reality there are lots of boring stretches right where not much happens and if you don't speak german or italian mm-hmm. you're a little bit fucked um
0: <laughs> i was like it's a good thing they didn't use like the ring cycle where the Dickensons are <laughs>
1: <five> hours <laughs> could you imagine <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and i think going to the opera is mm. a very like i, I love how because the dickens in the episode the Dickinsons are kind of like this is a treat for them even though they're like right upper class Yes. Or upper middle. Yeah, you know, even though they're upper class in Amherst and stuff, for them it's like, oh, we've gone to Boston to see the opera, you know?
0: And I had read in preparation for this one that they actually opera was kind of a trendy thing at the time in America specifically. Like it was coming into its own popularity. Like touring groups were coming out of Europe and there was a market for it in America. So this was fairly accurate as far as the upper middle class and upper class people attending it.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's like Sue with her salons and the opera and everything. It's very like, you can see like these wealthy Americans, like tapping into their European roots, almost like trying Mm. to, trying to Emulate. um, emulate. Yeah, I guess like try to emulate the sophistication and like elegance of what they imagine Europe to be like. Mm. I mean, that's what Mrs. Dickinson says, doesn't she? Everyone looks so elegant. Should have worn um, my cape. Should have worn, and it's like, of course she wore her cape. <laughs> <laughs> <The> <laughs> Sue, wife, Sue's literally wearing a cape. <laughs>
0: the low-boil anger of Mrs. Dickinson <laughs> towards Sue is one of my favorite things.
1: And I love it because it's like, Mrs. Dickinson is response. she created this monster. Yes. Like. <laughs> <laughs> she she directly was like she was she's been pressuring Lavinia and Emily to be the perfect housewives and then she like mentors Sue into it and now Sue has outclassed her.
0: Yep, and, and she
1: hates it. And <laughs> she hates it. Yeah, she absolutely hates it. But yeah, it's interesting. So the Dickinsons are at the opera, and, and in the in the context of the episode, it seems like it's the first time they've seen the opera, right?
0: Yes, Emily says she's never seen it before.
1: Yeah, and they all have differing reactions yes to it um
0: yeah austin seems to have no real response the the older dickinson's cannot wait to get out of there lavinia loves it and emily experiences what she experiences which
1: she experiences a rapture i think yeah
0: i think it is
1: and i don't mean that in like the evangelical religious sense of rapture but in the original literal sense of Having a rapturous experience.
0: I forget what movie. My, fr- my friend did a, a study abroad in France and they went to see something. I forget what it was. Like a, a film. And like her host mother said, uh, like, c'est ma vie which is like, it ravished me. Um, yeah. And that's what I think happens to her.
1: Yes. And um, oh, that's such a French thing to say. I know, so isn't
0: it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it ravished me. Um, I'm going to use that all the time now. Oh yeah, like it ravished me
0: again. Um, I don't remember the context, but that phrase lives in my brain rent-free. <laughs>
1: yeah, and that is that is the kind of the mm. feeling that a piece of art or a, pe- a performance can yes can hollow you out and mm-hmm. fill you up. You know, they, they all have differing reactions to to the opera as performed by Adelaide May.
0: I want to correct myself. Oh, you Sorry. want to correct yourself? Go I said on. that Austin had no response to the opera, and that's not true. He cries.
1: Yes, he does.
0: Yeah, he definitely cries at the opera.
1: What's surprising? F- what's surprising to me is that Sue doesn't have more of a reaction yeah. because it's a it's a it's a uh, well it's an opera about a woman who is well she's a courtesan, mm-hmm. um, but basically she. Is alone in the world and is looking to move up in the world through romance, through her kind of romantic attachments. Yes. And then she dies young of a terrible illness. And like Sue's whole family died from like consumption. So you would think that for her it would be a little bit triggering.
0: It's a bit Um, on the nose almost.
1: Yeah. But she doesn't seem to really Mm.
0: have any response.
1: No. And it's almost as if it's like, so in her desperate in her like attempt to be cutting edge and she just sees the art as a tool of mm. social advancement rather than mm. i don't know
0: you don't think that in how intense that experience could be she isn't just rejecting the feelings entirely
1: maybe but but i think there's like an element of, of no longer that that her that her, her lust for advancement and fame might be
0: overpowering kind of, any emotional yeah, response yeah mm. but we'll see because i think it's very
1: symbolic that she is the object of emily's fantasy, fantasy. yeah yeah before we go on to talk about Emily, emily's yeah. attraction i thought we could talk about mr and mrs dickinson because
0: <laughs> okay
1: they, they just they make me laugh so much. Like within like five minutes of the opera starting, well, first of all, when they sit down, it's that classic thing of where where Mrs. Dickens is like, is he going to wear that hat all performance? Oh <laughs> it's like everyone has had that experience of sitting behind someone in the cinema or the theatre. Oh my god! And they're like blocking yep. your view because they're inconsiderate and not aware of like Ugh. what's around their surroundings. I feel like it's a very gay thing. In that, when you're a gay person, like, you're always aware of your presence. Of your, yes. The, and, and, like, the space you're taking up. And, yes. And you want to kind of fade into the background as much as possible. Yes, yeah, so you, like, reduce, you learn as a child to, like, reduce yourself. Right. And, and, like, take up as little space as possible and, like, all these things. And then mm. there's just, like, straight people who just don't care and are just, like... <laughs> They're just like, especially straight men, but also straight women, to be fair, like, Mm. just like, just like, their limbs are everywhere, (laughs) and they're speaking loudly, and they've got their giant heads, like, in your way, and just like, oh.
0: I remember seeing Les Mis in the West End when we were there and like these two women in front of me would like bounce back and forth and like look at each other and mouth the words. And I just (sighs) felt so obnoxious. (laughs) I was like, please stop. Like it's clear that they were like there with their husbands who could not have given a slight shit about what was happening on stage. And they're just mildly tipsy singing along to like, do you hear the people sing? Oh, oh. Get out of the way.
1: I mean, I want people to have fun, but also right. it's like either either include me or or get out. Like-
0: <laughs> <laughs> Only I may dance. <laughs> I want to say yeah, then- when they run out of the because they leave the theater. The,
1: yeah, Mr. and Mrs. Dickinson, oh, Mr. Mr.
0: And Mrs. Dickinson leave. leave. And he calls it like La Garbagiata. <laughs> I have the Japanese subs on because I'm considering oh, really? practice. And he they translated it as just like "gomi biata," which I thought was so fucking funny. <laughs> like yep, they just literally changed nothing. <laughs> Ch- change nothing. Make have, make as little impact as
1: possible. <laughs> Sorry. Sidebar. Do you think there's a? Do you think Japanese people do watch
0: Dickinson? I would be so curious to see like the metrics on who within japan are watching because they've translated everything like yeah it's why they've translated like i wrote down even um how they translated split the lark and i just sat there thinking like man somebody had to sit there and translate all of this and do the renderings of emily's poetry
1: yeah into and- japanese that makes sense
0: what is the market
1: yeah like who because i just i don't think most japanese people would have I, I like literally i talk to british people and i say emily dickinson they're like who, who? and if they don't know yeah and if americans don't know there's just no way but, like, the japanese know.
0: there's a sizable like, japanese population i don't know to our audience if you are a japanese person <laughs> please contact us
1: yeah please write to us It'd be really
0: interested I'd be fascinated to know.
1: But then, but Mr. and Mrs. Dickens seem to be having a better time than they have mm. until recently.
0: Yes. They seem to be on the ups, having had their conversation. But I don't know if that necessarily resolved.
1: No, but they, wow. I think it's, they kind of rediscover in their mutual dislike of opera, <laughs> what they originally liked in each other. Yes. Which is really sweet.
0: I also just love, I don't know. Jane Krakowski being goofy will forever make me laugh. So. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the main event. Um, oh,
0: I just wanted to say I did write down at one point with Lavinia and Shipley, um, he tries oh, yeah. to like put his hand up her dress and she's like, no, which is something that had happened previously at like at Christmas dinner for Lavinia. But I Oh just, yeah. yeah. I just wrote a note that i i might edit this out because i just think it's funny but i just want to note to myself that was my friend once gave someone a hand job at phantom of the opera cuz they were so bored <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> make of that what you will
1: <laughs> perhaps it's a
0: universal experience <laughs> <I know. laughs> someone's getting something done at the opera <laughs> Well, people did people did go to the
1: opera for other reasons than to just see the opera. Like, yes, it was partly about being seen yourself. And I think Mrs. Dickinson and Sue are both very aware of this, mm. right? Because Mrs. Dickinson is very eager to know where their seats are, and then she finds out that they're at the very back. And Sue and Austin are in a box. Yes, and mm. it's kind of like Sue's wanting to present herself. In many ways, because that's what people sat in the boxes for was to be seen. Yes. But she also manipulates Sam into Mm. taking Emily to his box, thereby meaning that everyone will see them together.
0: And she's kind of watching the two of them as well to make sure it's like playing out how she wants it to.
1: Yes. Yeah. She's she's paying attention to what's going on. And it's 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 mm. more it's more examples of Sue pushing Emily towards something that emily perhaps is not necessarily in emily's best interest depending on what you think of sam Bowles.
0: right and that leads to this this confrontation between emily and sue um about the letter that was written to mary
1: oh between emily and sam
0: Oh, sorry. Yes. Emily and Sam. Yes, yes, yes.
1: Yes. So, so, Emily, yeah, so Emily gets in the box with Sam and she doesn't realise that there's anything wrong particularly. Right. But when she presses Sam about the publication of her poem, he says, we have a problem. And yeah, it, it basically it comes down to whether it's true or not, her having written that letter to um, Mary is a significant problem for Sam. Um, because he sees it as Emily confirming rumours that he is getting on with her, and he's worried that Mary, that that has disturbed Mary, is what he says. Mm-hmm.
0: Made her feel violated.
1: <laughs> Made her feel violated. That's the word wording he uses, isn't it? Made her feel yeah. violated. And he and Emily have a bit of a confrontation about this, and I think mm-hmm. Emily, like, I think, really holds her holds her own because she's not aggressive at all, but she no she she holds her ground in that she's like that wasn't my intention that wasn't my intention and and she tries to explain um but i i got two things out of that like Mm -hmm. the first one is that i just didn't believe sam with what he said Mm. and i wondered whether or not it was more a situation of like mary got the letter and he's upset not because mary's upset but because he is jealous oh of emily going to mary
0: interesting
1: And he doesn't want them to to know each other. To know
0: each other. He wants to sort of be the arbiter of who can speak to whom.
1: Yes. And I and that's what I read into that. Because I think that's more. Uh. I mean, maybe it's because of the nature of my job, but I see a lot of that with women who are who are domestically abused, in Mm. that they will try men will try and but also with men who are domestically abused, like the abuser will always try and control who the the flow of information. Yes, and like, like the,
0: they often control finances, they control who they see, they control yeah. Um,
1: and I wondered whether it wasn't so much what was in the letter as just the fact that Emily even wrote to Mary in the first place. Interesting. Was, um, but that's because I hate Sam Bowles at the moment. So. <laughs> and then the other thing I got out of that is like Sam wants Emily to be this like eccentric poet when it's convenient for him. Mm. Um, but but when she does something eccentric, like yes. write a poetic letter yes. to Mary, he realizes that oh, like her eccentricity isn't for show. Right. It's not like Sue wearing a pair of glasses. Like it's it's her real. It is who. It's not a persona. It's who she is. Um. And that's inconvenient.
0: I I wrote down the Emily. Li- she has a line that just says, "It's how I feel." And I think this sort of attests to, again, like Emily not wanting to get involved in the way that people interacted at this time. Yeah. I wrote down, because I was once called this by someone, um, emotional duck, because <laughs> to continue on with the larks and the birds running through this episode. Um, yeah. Like ducks, I guess, have a very fast digestive tract. Like they eat and they poop almost immediately. And so, like, yeah. I was called an emotional duck because I feel my feelings very intensely and obviously. And I was just like, ah, oh, Emily's like that. She had that. Yeah. She wrote it down and she sent it. She didn't think about, like, oh, this isn't how people are supposed to interact.
1: Yeah, and it's it's go it's that whole thing of like um, she has no pretense about her. Yeah, and Sam moves in a world where everything is pretense and fakery, That's... and yeah. and so for him it's like oh god, like this is real.
0: Yeah,
1: and she she is a genius, but that also means that she's unpredictable and she can't be controlled, and mm. and she she'll behave and do strange things. And I think I relate to that so much because I just think, like, because my opinion is that these days a lot of people sing the praises of diversity and sing the praises of, like, being different and being unique and everything. Mm. But then so many of the people who will say that when they meet someone who's genuinely not like them or who is genuinely different or Mm. unique, they'll be scornful of it or they they won't recognize it or they won't accept it um and they're not they they find it challenging and stuff because their idea of what is different and what is unique is so shaped by other people
0: yeah because
1: the reality is is like we're not all free thinkers like for most part most of us get our ideas and our beliefs from what's around us authority
0: figures or school or yeah what we see every day
1: yeah and so i think it's like very common now people sing the praises of like oh you know, they're so unique, so special, have such a unique view. Mm. Um, but then when someone actually is, because cause it's like I said before, like geniuses and people who have differing opinions, they can be difficult. Yes. You, I mean, you've probably encountered it in your job <laughs> as well. Like really creative people can be Ooh, difficult.
0: So. Difficult to work with. I was actually, I was trying to think if I had worked with anybody who fits that Bill, but honestly, like a lot of the, the famous people that I've worked with have to sort of control that because of how social media operates now. Like they have to be careful about how they interact and they have to be careful about their appearance within the world. So that's, I don't know, I'm I mean that's that's
1: kind of bad. That's that's what Sam right. Bowles represents. I was to about
0: me. to say, so that's the Sam Bowles side, which is the control and which is the the stuff which is celebrated, which is celebrated because it manages to still fit the mold while pushing against it slightly.
1: Yeah, whereas Emily is legitimately avant-garde. Yes. And that makes her difficult. And mm. Sam's seeing that and he's like, I don't want to deal with it. Yes.
0: He, he tries to shut it down by just saying, the romance is between you and yourself.
1: Yes. And also, when she, when he off, when she offers him her poem, she writes a poem for him, Split yes. the Lark. Mm. She says she's written it for him. Um, and when she offers it to him, he rejects it.
0: Yeah, he just says, keep it.
1: I know that we usually do the poem at the end. Right. But I wondered if because it factors in... So in much. A, in a, yeah, and in such a unique way. I wondered mm. if it's worth doing it now. Let's what do it. Think? Yeah. I will I will try and read this. I don't think I'll do as good a job as That's Ella sick. Hunt
0: does. It is does such a good, anyway.
1: We'll talk about that. Yes. Also, sidebar, I love larks. Larks are beautiful birds. Um. Okay, here we go. Split the lark and you'll find the music. Bulb after bulb in silver rolled scantily dealt to the summer morning saved for your ear when lutes be old loose the flood you shall find it patent gush after gush reserved for you scarlet experiment skeptic thomas now do you doubt that your bird was true well done it's just such a lovely poem i think It's (laughs) incredible um and i haven't seen this one before this no. even though I've been going through like Emily's poems mm. occasionally in my spare time. Um, but this one is just, I, I think I'm going to have to learn this one by heart.
0: I think I, yeah, I think I have. <laughs> Cause I've, I've, watched the, <laughs> I've watched the episode like back when it first aired and then like a few other times since then, because I think, we'll get to it with loaves of bread talk but like no it's an incredible poem and I'm shocked that yeah. it's isn't more well known
1: I think mm-hmm. we needed to read it to discuss mm-hmm. what happens next because Emily yes. she, Sam rejects her poem mm-hmm. and then she reads it herself right she, while she's watching she's the opera an
0: Indian, yes and looks out at Adelaide as she is performing Violetta singing yes.
1: Adelaide transforms, or not transforms, Adelaide is just suddenly Sue.
0: Yes. In the golden Sue, dress.
1: In the golden dress from episode five.
0: Episode one is when she first wears it, I believe.
1: Yeah, it's just so symbolic, isn't it? It it's is. Like, it's just like the Midas, it's like Midas touch.
0: It really is. Yeah.
1: And Sue sings the poem to Emily. Yes. And if you're listening to this, like I absolutely recommend, you just go on to Spotify or go onto YouTube and search "Split the Lark," sung by Ella Hunt. Just give it a listen because it's short and sweet, but it's mm. it's really good.
0: So Emily has this the the ravishment, like the the rapturous experience.
1: Have you ever have you ever had that kind of reaction to a piece of art?
0: Yes weirdly it wasn't performance art which surprises me i forget maybe i've talked about this already but that summer of 2019 when i saw like the van gogh sunflowers Mm. something i was just like oh i get it it was more profound than that but (laughs) yeah i have have you there are some
1: poems that have stayed with me Mm. um, that they've their words have been powerful enough to evoke something, yeah, and some pieces of music mm. have really moved me, but I don't think I have ever had a really rapturous experience from art. Mm. I've had a very rapturous experience in a different context mm-hmm. uh sat in a corner of a cathedral once. Mm. I had a kind of experience that, like, absolutely, definitely ravished me or, like, wrecked me. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, I've not yet encountered a piece of art that has elicited that kind of movement.
0: And I wanted to ask if a cathedral wouldn't be considered art in some form. Mm.
1: I think the cathedral was not the... Mm. The cathedral was... Not incidental, but...
0: Conduit? I don't know.
1: I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. What do you think it means that Sue's on the stage singing to Emily like this? I mean, <laughs> why, what, what's the signif- why, why Why do any of this bit? Why have why this musical this? interlude? Yeah, why yeah. have this musical interlude?
0: Well, it is what comes later in her conversation with Adelaide herself, which is like... We experience art individually. Like, and for Emily, this moment is about Sue singing this poem to her and like having her. I I don't want to like read um, too much into it, but the fact that like episode one has her unable to read one of her poems out loud at the party where Sue is wearing this Mm. to then having her in this outfit singing this poem like and having it be about I don't know the 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 final line too it's hard to do this without talking about the poem like do you doubt that your bird was true like because so much of this poem is about taking that moment apart and like the difference between feeling the song and hearing it and and then analyzing it later like when i had that experience with the van gogh painting like my friend from high school was there and she was just kind of trying to hurry me along and i was like ready to break down and cry <laughs> like mm. and it was mm. so funny to have this like completely disparate experience going on um yeah
1: my interpretation of this is not that Sue is encouraging Emily to seek fame, but mm. quite the opposite. In that, mm. Sue is Emily's muse and yes. also her voice. Yes, um, and
0: oh, I did not mean to imply that she was telling her to pursue fame at all. It was about how intensely, per- like, personal that experience mm. was.
1: Yeah, and I think that I think the significance of Sue singing this this poem for Emily is. Mm. That their poetry is between them. Mm. And we know that so many of Emily's poems were addressed to Sue and oh, were written Sue. for Sue. I think that this poem, poem is encouraging Emily because it's like when she had writer's block, it's like, loose the flood mm. and you shall find it patent, gush after gush, reserved for you. But yeah, it, it kind of speaks to that connection between them. And I, I think Sue is the bird,
0: Sue is the lark. But if and maybe we can fold this into the conversation about what happens next in the episode, but like, to go into the poem and what it's actually saying, like, you have to kill the lark to split it. Like, if you want to find the music, you have to kill it. And I think this loose the flood is to release, like to split it open And gush after gush, like these things that were for you, are now out. And that final line, of like, now do you doubt that your bird was true? Like you had to kill it to get your answer. Yeah, and like you have destroyed it. And I think that speaks to this this conversation about like poet, like publishing and poetry and art and fame and like what does it mean to put that out into the world, and that.
1: Perhaps, yeah, the whole idea of publishing her poetry would be destroying her poetry because right. it would be it would be taking something that is free mm-hmm. and um, killing it. yeah,
0: I don't know it it it's a very intense poem, and it's a very intense moment, and I think like some of the time that the show uses Emily's poetry, it can be a little cutesy, yeah and i think this one like is a it it it's perfect for the context of the show and for what it's doing and for what the episode is talking about like these two are intensely emotionally involved with each other and like you said she is her muse and this poem even though she was ready to give it to sam there's a certain amount of that naivete in emily cuz i think this was mm-hmm. meant for sue too yeah
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so then Emily takes the backstage pass, doesn't she? Yes. That Sam has left behind. Mm -hmm. Um, And she goes and pays a visit to
0: Adelaide Adelaide May.
1: May. I think before that, there's the interesting interaction she has with like the two. Oh, yeah. I love this.
0: Like the the swings, basically. Like the people who are part of the company, but aren't, you know, the headliners. Yeah. I love this.
1: What's it they say? They're like, oh, sh- Adelaide May, she doesn't do interviews because she's already famous.
0: Yeah, she's she a star.
1: All she has to do is vanish.
0: You should interview us, girl reporter. We're interesting.
1: And they kind of poke fun at Amherst as well, because when she says she's a female reporter, they're like, oh, Amherst, like, really, like, on How the cutting edge or whatever. Yeah. How progressive, yeah. It's <laughs> like they're kind of making, p- poking fun at. What Where's Amherst thinks art. of himself.
0: Yeah, and Adelaide May kind of does the same thing where she's like, "Where am I tonight?" And I am Paris. Is it
1: Paris? Yeah, or Rome. Is it Rome. And <laughs> it's like, no, you're in like shitty little Amherst.
0: Oh, they do. Yeah. They do go to Boston. They are in Boston. But to be oh, fair, oh right, they are in Boston. Sucks.
1: I mean, I think it's it does not so much that Boston sucks, but it's just like. She's making a point, isn't she? Like, oh, no, I've like sung in Boston. Rome and yeah. Paris. Yeah. Like, this is Boston. It's nothing special. Look at me.
0: Yeah. Which, let's talk about Adelaide May. I loved her. I loved her. <laughs> like, who
1: played Who played Adelaide
0: May? Kelly Barrett.
1: Kelly Barrett, did you say? So Adelaide May is not a real person. No. She's a composite character. Um, yes. Because she's taking elements of other famous kind of... Opera singers from the period, um, and throwing them together. Um, she, but she is an interesting character.
0: Yes, and the actress has been on Broadway, so she has singing chops. Oh, she also wow! I've been meaning to watch the Fosse Verdon, like Verdon, um, mini and she played Liza Minnelli in that. Good for her. Not bad. Yeah. So she's
1: she's she is so she is a performer. Yeah, she knows what it's like. Yeah, so she's speaking from. She, she's drawing her character from experience in many Anyways. ways Adelaide May is very sceptical about fame isn't she She she's like um,
0: I don't think she's sceptical I think she's very um, realistic about it like jaded. yes my note is jaded and I fucking love it like to make her feel thi- like Emily says you've made me feel things that I'd never felt before and she's like oh what's that like to feel things
1: yeah because she feels nothing, doesn't she? She gets up on stage, she performs. Yep. It's the same every night, and it's all a show. So none of it's, no, none, none of it is real.
0: You yeah. just saw the most moving performance, and I felt nothing. And I have, like, I mean, people could look at my IMDb page. I don't know. I've worked with like uh, decent. Uh, like, I worked once. Okay, I will name drop once on this podcast. I worked with Alicia Vikander, who like won an Oscar for the Danish girl and was like in ex machina she's younger so she's not jaded and like she was actually very lovely to work with and all of that but you can see like they switch off like professional actors do switch on and switch off yeah and we as an audience don't always see that or ever see that because that's the illusion that's what we have bought into yeah and so like to go backstage and to have this experience of having it switch off for Emily. And I think that's such an alien
1: thing for Emily because Emily yeah. doesn't switch off because no. again, it's this idea that she is fully genuine. Yes. She is not, um, she's not faking it because she is fully genuine. The intensity that she has, she expects from other people.
0: Yes.
1: To her, she, ex- she just thinks she's the norm, right? As you do, like if you don't, if you, we only can base things on our own experience and we we often assume especially when we're young that other people think the same way we do
0: Mm. um i feel like i still felt that for a long time
1: and and yeah and then and so for her she expects this intensity this romance this passion um this rapture she expects that for other artists yeah but actually that's not the reality for 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 Adelaide May, it's a performance. It's, a, it's fake. It's a show. It's an impression, whereas Emily's the real thing.
0: Yes. And they, um, they even make the point that like Adelaide May isn't a real name. It's a stage name. Like, yeah. Even that element of her is fake.
1: Yeah. And we never find out her real name. Nope. She doesn't even consider that it's worth giving it to Emily.
0: No. So, she almost doesn't want to speak to Emily when she realizes that she's a fan. Although I do think... She then becomes very accommodating. <laughs> yeah, considering
1: someone's like snuck into her dressing room. Dressing room, and, room yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, security! I
0: know. <laughs> she does look for someone to help her. Um, and, and then, then like, she
1: realizes there's no one there and she's insane. like, this is mm-hmm. it now.
0: <laughs> I guess I'll talk to this girl. <laughs> then they have that conversation about forever.
1: Yeah, she says there is... There, don't, uh, what's it she says? She's like, don't you know?
0: There's no such thing. The voice yeah. fades, memory fades, and all of us eventually are forgotten.
1: And this goes back to season one, where death was telling Emily that she will be immortal. Right. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's kind of Emily's maturing, and she's questioning, is there any such thing as immortality? Which is one of the principal themes of her poems in, in reality.
0: I'll have to send you the one that I found about her reading the news because emily when we had talked about like how emily doesn't read the newspaper in the first episode of the season Mm. she has a poem about like the only news i read all day is like news from immortality (laughs) yeah could not be bothered
1: oh sidebar like i noticed an interesting newspaper gag in another show i was watching the chilling adventures of sabrina Mm. Um, which isn't a very good show, sorry. Um, <laughs> but I was watching it anyway because I'm such a big like Sabrina fan
0: sure, back in yeah. the day.
1: Um, and there's a great like little thing where every episode opens with Sabrina, well, not every episode, but most of the episodes open with Sabrina getting up in the morning and going down for breakfast um, with her aunts, Hilda and Zelda. Yes. Uh, and every morning, Zelda's reading a different newspaper from a different country in a different language.
0: Oh, that's funny
1: it's quite nice it's like nicely done it's just in the background but she's i noticed because i was like is that is that the like Minichi chishin i was
0: like oh, no way <laughs> i
1: was like is she reading a japanese newspaper like why is she <laughs> just like in one of the episodes that's that's anyway sorry sidebar no that's um, fine see <laughs> yeah. so you, you're you're teaching me carl and i'm starting to notice things mm. in shows, there are I'm people like, who
0: make those decisions everything is there because someone put it there most of the time including that Starbucks cup from Game of Thrones that I did not (laughs) (laughs) yeah so Emily has this confrontation again of like all of us eventually are forgotten and that leads to Adelaide taking her out on the stage which is a thing you are not supposed to do in the theater if no one is there is that because
1: it's dangerous?
0: no it's bad luck
1: is that because it's dangerous? <laughs>
0: Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. They have that you've seen Black Swan, yes? Yeah. They have that shot where she like walks across the stage and they have the light out in the center of it. Yeah. There's like that light is for superstitious purposes to like clear like keep the spirits of the theater or something. I forget exactly. But like, Oh, like they, they
1: need to keep they need to keep a light on the stage is that? Yes. Oh, that's, that's interesting. That's so, very interesting.
0: They go out and they have another conversation. Emily says she wants to be famous.
1: Yeah, so she seems to have made a decision Yeah, that that's what she wants.
0: After she has imagined an audience out there applauding her, and then Adelaide asks her why, and she says, like, oh, well, because I write all these poems and it's not enough if they just sit in a drawer. Like, don't they need to be seen? And this it sort of parallels what Sam Bowles, the fantasy of Sam Bowles asks her at the beginning of episode five, where he's like, Are you ready to see and be seen? Mm. And Adelaide says, if you're seen, you're exposed. And everything that's exposed goes stale. Like critics turn on you, everything that was once in fashion becomes out of fashion, and they'll hate you for it. Mm-mm-mm. Then, well we know
1: now, like I was yeah. taking it one step further in my head, because like we know now, or we we think now that with quantum entanglement or whatever, that to see something is to is to solidify it almost or to make it real. Like there's been a lot of discussion lately in both philosophy and science of of the nature of reality in regards to perception and seeing, mm. um, and all the way back. So like ancient Greece, there's this thing of like, to see something is to define it. In in regards to like Emily here, yeah. I think there's the element of like, again, we've said it before, but like, if, if people see her, yeah. then they will define her and that will place limitations on her. Right. So, yeah. But also all those things that Adelaide says about, you know, the, they will get
0: bored of you. The nature of they'll, art. They'll on you. Yeah. yeah. What it means And they do,
1: right? We see it now with cancel culture and stuff like
0: I yeah, I find some of the cancel culture discussion to be frustrating because it is I generally avoid it. Like we're recording this at a time when like you you watched Lindsay Ellis's stuff, yeah?
1: Yeah. So I think I watched her most recent thing about when she was cancelled and she put
0: Yeah and what, like was what, it, what it. mask off. Yeah, it was mask off. It's like an hour and a half long, and she talks about like what it means to like have every aspect of your creative life detailed and thrown in your face. So we're actually doing this at an interesting time because I think like I did not know some of the stuff that she did and like whatever stuff people do stupid shit all the time.
1: Like, I think that's part of the point Lindsay Ellis makes is like yes. um you we all say and do stupid stuff. It's just that for some people it's documented better.
0: Right. Like she has made a career out of documenting her stuff.
1: Yeah. And like a a lot of the people that are criticizing her, like if, if someone had recorded their life and they could probably pull out loads of examples where they've been or said racist things or, or, Mm -hmm. or done sketchy stuff. Like,
0: yes. I was like, and she makes the point at the end of the video that she will be, like, extending the same amount of grace to them that they gave to her. And it is a very pointed, like, line to end your video on after the hell that she seems to have gone through. Like, I don't know what that is like.
1: And the discussions around cancelling or whatever, however you want to call it, are ongoing at the moment. So to include... This this discussion of fame and and how Mm. famous people are treated or upheld um, to be like pure Mm -hmm. held to like a a level of morals that perhaps other people are not held to
0: that aren't Um, realistic at all like nobody could do that
1: no and it's like you said earlier like um, how celebrities now have to like manicure their public persona so carefully and do so much. It's like Lindsay Ellis says about how like three quarters of her productions now are like risk assessments and
0: risk management. Thinking about in terms of Emily and, you know, she never had that because she could write whatever she wanted because no one was going to see it.
1: Yeah. And so isn't her work purer for that? Right.
0: There was no editor. The only edits she had were after death. And even those she seems to have escaped like her work has come through
1: yeah weirdly it's like my like sheer force spirit endured <laughs> i know
0: <laughs>
1: like water flowing downhill like right. it just
0: it cannot it be made stopped. Its way. yeah yeah
1: and she calls sam balls her editor but he hasn't edited anything she's done so far
0: i actually wondered like has he paid her for any of this
1: like, no, <laughs> we haven't it. seen him pay her.
0: I know. It's like for anything. He has given. She has given him material. Has he paid her any money? <laughs> like,
1: I Don't think he's published it yet, though. Has yeah. he?
0: No, but yeah, that doesn't yeah, yeah. matter. You get advances. You get if you think someone has talent. Like
1: yeah, well, if you take it from them and you say you're going to publish it, right? Then he needs to pay her because that means she can't. She can't now go to someone else and say yeah, publish this.
0: One of the first people I worked with who was famous while I was here in Tokyo was like Lena Dunham for some Mm. of Girls. And like, she also has gone through the ringer in terms of like becoming a, a straw man almost for these identity politics. And it always sort of confused me because like Girls was a popular show, but it's not like that many people watched it. And the level of ire that she drew as a public figure Seem to be very disproportionate to like the actual cultural impact of girls.
1: Yes. And I think that the people who were criticizing girls were the people who originally enjoyed it. Yeah. um, And that goes to show you exactly this point of like, you, you can't trust your audience. Like they're not, they're not there for you.
0: you One of the more intriguing, like tweets that Lindsay Ellis pulled out in that video was um, like, Why did Lindsay Ellis get famous? Like, I should be the most famous Phantom fan.
1: Yeah, and it's that jealousy. Yes,
0: that propels a lot of people to do stuff like this.
1: Well, I'm just, for me, I'm just going to stick by what ContraPoints said in her video on cancelling, which is that the people who were the most horrible to her were people with cutesy anime avatars (laughs) who could not reveal their true face or their true identity and had to hide behind this impression Sickly of Hawaii, yeah, culture, but still be absolutely awful, and I—that to me just says everything about it, which is like, it's cowardly ultimately,
0: and it—it it serves no purpose. Like, why are we going after Lindsay Ellis at all? Yeah, like, it's
1: like if you want to stop like, racism, Lindsay yeah. Ellis isn't there. No, she's not even like there is just no point you know right and like going and contra points with transphobia like people
0: yeah.
1: in contrapoints for transphobia like she's a trans woman who produces philosophical youtube videos about trans issues like yes. even if you don't agree with her like she's trying to do something good for your community
0: yes and on top right. of this like why isn't this criticism being levied at you know legislators who are passing horrible laws to yeah
1: exactly (laughs) they 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 continue to be virtually anonymous because no one finds them interesting enough to learn their names
0: right because they aren't craving fame or they aren't craving that attention and yet they're able to like dictate our taste oh my god it's all the fucking like pastors at the salon just like yeah who are nameless and faceless but are controlling what we not controlling but like have a certain amount of power over our lives that like a public figure like Lindsay Ellis does not.
1: And they even they even they are so skilled that they can even get us to hate each other yeah. and, to, and to waste our energy on each other.
0: And it's frustrating because imagine what we could do if we actually worked together.
1: Yeah. <sighs> Gosh, that's a heck of a sidebar.
0: Yeah. Um, Tangentially related because, okay, so then we will turn to what is it that Emily really wants? Because Adelaide, again, turns into Sue or a fantasy of Sue and asks, all this nonsense about fame, what is it that you really want? It's, you create, oh, I wrote it down because I loved it, and I was like, you crave meaning, you crave beauty, and you crave love. And then they make yeah. out, and an opera chorus sings Split the Lark in the background, <laughs> which I did not notice, except for the Japanese subtitles telling me that that's what they were singing. It's
1: true, because people pursue fame, yeah. for the most part, because they want to be loved, and, or that they want to, to be adored.
0: Or to, to find meaning in the work that they create.
1: Yeah, to have someone validate
0: yes. their work. And I think what what you see, or what we've seen through the season, is you have like someone like Olmstead who argues for mastery is the art itself being the only reward you need. Mm-hmm. And then you have someone like Adelaide May who is saying, like I perform, I am top in the world and i am dead inside
1: <laughs> the way i see it like if you look at the way emily is assailed on two sides so so on one side she has sam and sue who are telling her that fame is what she should be reaching for and sue has become quite obsessed with her own fame mm. um in some way oh fame is perhaps not the right word her own preeminence, yeah i suppose uh and sam literally lives for this kind of traveling around finding the flavor of the month as it were yes um and like all that kind of stuff but then when emily speaks to people who have actually achieved a level of fame and recognition they all seem to say to her this isn't what you think it is this isn't it will what never you imagine it will be
0: fulfill you no
1: yeah and um and then she has these spectral visions of nobody yes also telling her like you don't want to be famous or you don't do you it. Don't, yeah. yeah, don't do it. So I think like it's like Emily's kind of assailed from both sides. Mm. But yeah. And that, that is everything I have I'm to mind. say about this episode. Um, yes. So shall we do loaves of bread?
0: Loaves of bread.
1: Um, there's color. no cats in this episode, are no there? No
0: cats. That's... There are several mentions of larks in different contexts, which I thought was funny.
1: Yeah. No cats. Oh, and um, I don't know if you noticed, but the apple... TV Plus, when you go on 2nd second, I'll just see if it's still there But when you go on to The Dickinson page on Apple TV Plus mm-hmm. On their actual web Because I don't watch it through an app I watch it through my browser oh, I don't okay. know if it's different um, But when you go on the Dickinson thing the um, An animation comes up And it's um, I think it's Sue on a stage Surrounded by larks
0: No way um,
1: yeah, and they're like floating around her.
0: Well done. Yeah. As always, Dickinson team. Nice. And then engine. also
1: there's um there's like a series of articles and animations. There's like um Elena Smith has done like these little yeah, it's like Elena Smith on the media, Elena Smith on Saints Seances and Spiritualism, Elena Smith on Salons. Jeez. Elena Smith on Opera.
0: I wanna say Elena Smith on Twitter did say that episode six of Dickinson is her favorite thing that she has ever created. So this episode is oh, her favorite thing. That's really this nice. And eight. So look forward to that.
1: Yeah, that's um, gonna be interesting. I think. Um, okay, loads of bread. How many loads of bread, Carl?
0: I loved this episode. I had previously said that you know episode eight of season one was as good as the show got i think this might be as good as the show gets for now <laughs> i'm gonna yeah. give it nine and a half i thought it was brilliant on just about every front um and i thought it was moving yeah
1: I- i'm gonna say i'm gonna give it a solid eight and a half loaves Mm. yeah I also agree that it was a really good episode just because it kind of, it was fun to watch. It was dramatic. It had Mm -hmm. like great set pieces to it. Yeah, I just liked everything about it. It was good. And I love Adelaide May and- What a
0: fucking great- Like,
1: (laughs) yeah, it just, it really worked. So good job, Dickinson production team and Elena Smith. Um, And Silas Howard and silas howard of course yes yeah really good job
0: well done yeah
1: okay everyone so you can contact us um at edicts on edicts all lowercase at gmail.com do feel free to email us anytime you would like and we will respond we love to hear what you're going to say if you email us we will even read your emails on the podcast
0: maybe um <laughs>
1: maybe maybe <laughs> No, we definitely will, even if it's abusive as crap, but then we will, <laughs> then we will, then we will, we will bitch you about out. you, yeah, yeah. Just um, like Lindsay. all right, just like Lindsay, yeah, <laughs> okie okay, dokie. Okay. Thanks for right. tuning in, guys.